I wonder if you've ever experienced one of those it all comes down to this moments. Maybe when you're in an examination hall about to turn over your paper. Uh, maybe uh, when you were about to be summoned into a room to be interviewed for a job you really wanted. Maybe when you were contemplating asking your spouse to marry you. In that moment you're aware that it all comes down to this. It reminds me of taking penalties, which, which I used to have to do for the teams I played for because nobody else wanted to do it. It was that moment where everyone is watching you and you know you should score and it all comes down to this. I wouldn't have survived in the uh, era of analytics because I always put the ball in the same place. Uh, that was my reasoning is if I hit it clearly enough and sharply enough in the corner it always went in. wouldn't have survived if people were analysing what I went about. It always helped me to admire Stuart Pearce. You remember he, he fluffed in the World Cup semi-final in Italia 90. He, he had a really bad penalty and then of course um, Waddle blazed over the bar. But six years later he was bold enough to do it again. Bold enough to do it again, although of course Gareth Southgate went on to miss. And then they shared a wonderful Pizza Hut commercial with Gareth Southgate wearing a brown paper bag over his head. But it's that tension that fear in that moment that it all comes down to this. That's what, what it was like for Nehemiah. He's been praying for three to four months. He's been searching the scriptures. He's been seeking after God. He's been longing for what God wanted to form in him. But it all comes down to this moment. He chooses his moment wisely. The Queen is there, verse 5 tells us, which means it's a domestic, it's an intimate scene. Maybe after a huge public banquet they've gone into a private withdrawing room and in that moment he dares for the very first time to drop his professional exterior and to show the King what's really going on in his heart. He is putting everything on the line. It all comes down to this. So the king sees and the king asks and Nehemiah simply says, how can I not be sad of heart when the city in which my fathers are buried lies in ruins? He appeals to family, to heritage. He's, he's basically putting it out there. And the king, let's face it, the king knows, he knows what's going on. He's been lobbied before lots and lots of times. So he simply cuts to the heart of it. What is it you want? And then Nehemiah, in that kind of a spiritual gulp, there's an arrow prayer. He prays to the God of heaven on the basis of the three to four months that have led up to this point. It all comes down to this moment. He basically says, I want to go and rebuild. I want to go and rebuild the city of my fathers that lies in ruins. The king responds, okay, what is it you need? And then Nehemiah shows all of the planning and the praying that he's done. He basically tells the king everything that he needs. He knows he's going to need safe conduct because the further away from the imperial capital, the more like the Wild West it became and the more that the local officials did what they wanted and then claimed that it was in the king's name. So he basically says, you know, Lord, I'm going to need safe conduct. More than that, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to need letters to the keeper of your forest. He's called Asaph. That's his research. He's called Asaph. And Lord, I'm going to need it for three reasons. One, to rebuild the citadel outside the temple, the little fort that watches over the temple. Another, to rebuild the city walls. And third, to rebuild my family's home. So he's laid it all out there. 
the king simply trusts him uh, enough to trust this task to him but also he wants to know when he's going to be back that's the favor in which nehemiah is held and so off he goes but the king turns it into an official mission not a private one by sending uh, some officers and some sending some cavalry uh, with nehemiah that makes it an official mission not just a private one and off they go off they go to jerusalem as soon as Nehemiah arrives, the local bigwigs start to get restless. They start to worry why he's come. Wisely, Nehemiah does nothing for three days. He simply, I think, probably links up with local relatives. He starts to make connections. And he wants, I think, the scrutiny to ebb away. Because he's come, he's come with all of these soldiers, but then he does nothing for three days. And then he sneaks out after dark with really trusted people, just a handful. He sneaks out on a mount like probably a mule or a donkey. They're, they're notoriously sure-footed. So he's, he's gone out on a sure-footed mount. And why has why is he gone out? He's gone out to actually survey the wall. He goes around as much of it as he can, seeing what state it's in. But in one part, it's so badly damaged, he has to go into the valley uh, because he can't actually go along the walls. The, the, the terraces on which, on which the wall had been built have been destroyed. He goes into the valley and sees it for himself. All of this is, is great planning in the sense that nobody will be able to say to him, you don't know what you're talking about. Nobody will be able to say it's, it's unrealistic. You, you haven't looked at it. You don't know what you're talking about. Because that's often the way when new ideas are proposed. Often, uh, often we, we have a tendency to look at them and pick them to pieces because they don't seem practical. But in this moment, Nehemiah has snuck out and he has gone around all of the wall of Jerusalem, even if some of it he's had to survey from the valley outside Jerusalem. And then he calls the officials together. Then he reveals what God has put on his heart to do for Jerusalem. And the key thing I think he says is, it is time to remove the disgrace. The disgrace of, of our people, because that relates to the exile. That was their disgrace. That was their deserved punishment. And now he's saying to them, I am here. God has placed this, this conviction in my heart. God has given me favour with our king. God has brought me here to help all of us remove this last disgrace of exile, to restore our capital, to restore its strength. That's why I'm here and this is my plan. This is my plan in detail. He goes through it. And because he's laid out, actually, this is the plan, this is how the practicalities will work, and this is, this is the trust and the favour I've got from the king, everyone says, yes, let us start rebuilding. So what does Nehemiah have to teach us uh, as we emerge from these lockdown months? The first thing is the need to improvise, the need to improvise. Nehemiah had planned really, really thoroughly. He knew what positions he needed. He knew what, what he was going to get from Asaph. He had explicit permission to, from, from Artaxerxes for the keeper of his forest that he would have wood for the temple citadel, for his own home and for the city wall. He planned really thoroughly. 
But when he snuck out at night on that clandestine reconnaissance, he realised that part of the wall was so badly damaged and the terraces supporting it so badly damaged that there was no way that they would be able to quickly rebuild that. So what does he do? He improvises. He changes the course of the wall. He actually redirects it along the crest, which would be really much easier to defend than trying to rebuild that significant section. Uh, Nehemiah 3.8 says he left out part of Jerusalem through as far as the broad wall. He redirects the wall. So he doesn't just rebuild, in some places he actually builds a new wall in a more defensible position. He improvises. We need to learn to do that because we're in a situation where we have to adjust and perhaps keep on adjusting as the government regulations and guidelines change. So we need to learn from Nehemiah not to be so committed to the plan we had already set, but we need to learn to improvise and, and to take things in a different direction where that's needed. Second thing we learn from Nehemiah, and this is particularly from Nehemiah 3, we need to work together. This is a plan and a time that needs all of us. We're going to need a new, color, uh, new culture of volunteering, I think. It's really significant, Nehemiah 3. It's, it's a bit of a boring bit to read, but there's all kinds of really interesting things going on in it. Uh, first of all, actually, he, he appeals to people's self-interest. They get to build close to their homes. They get to build close to their businesses, as with the goldsmiths and the perfumers. They get to build close to what matters most to them, whether it's family property or whether it's the temple, as in with the Levites and the priests. So he's going with the grain all the time. He's, he's getting everybody into this united movement, but he's also appealing to what matters most to them. And it all has to happen at the same point. There's no point finishing one section and going on to the next, because if you've got one finished section and eight that aren't, well, that's still indefensible. You still have a Jerusalem that's neither strong or, or can be held. So it all has to happen at once. He's appealing and working with the grain over and over again. And some people don't like it. Some people rule themselves out of the game. In verse 5 in Nehemiah 3, we read that the leaders don't like, some of the leaders of the men of Tekoa, we're told, don't like the new arrangements, don't like submitting to other supervisors, and they basically refuse to have anything to do with it. This is a time that's going to need us all to pull together. This is a time when we're going to need an even greater uh, culture of volunteering than we've had before. As we adjust to these new times, these new arrangements, and as we need to keep on adjusting. It's a time for mutual support. It's a time for small groups. It's a time for prayer sixes. It's, it's a time, for example, to, uh, to say to those who've got businesses, uh, businesses in the church to say, how can I pray for you? It's a time to, pray, uh, to ask those who, whose employment may be uh, struggling or under question to ask, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for the households that I know? It's a time to say to people on the high street, maybe, how can I support your business? How can 
I pray for your business. This is a time where we really need one another. It's a time actually we always need one another, but it's a time when it's really clear. We need to be in this together. Third, we're going to need to reflect, as Nehemiah had to, on what can be restored. His decisions about the line of the wall actually made Jerusalem smaller. It meant that the wall could be rebuilt or built for the first time much more quickly. But it meant that actually quite a lot of territory was no longer within the walls. It's a difficult choice. It was the right choice, but it was a difficult choice. We face a time that is going to be very difficult and very challenging, I think. We're not going to be allowed to sing for quite some time when we're allowed to gather together to worship again. Um, Only one person will be allowed to sing on behalf of all of us. We're not going to be allowed to share communion in bread and wine. Uh, Only the priest is going to be allowed to take wine. Everyone else will just have to share the bread. Um, All kinds of things have changed around the arrangements for school. We're told that there'll be no whole school assemblies next year, next academic year. And that means that a cornerstone of our engagement with our school over the last 20 or more years has gone, at least for a time. The school service will not happen next year. So there are all kinds of ways in which we're going to need to adjust and in which we're going to have to live with the familiar, unfamiliar for quite some time. That's going to need patience. It's going to need patience uh, as we have to ask you to book tickets to come to church. It's going to need patience as we have to, you know, uh, carefully abide by the social distancing guidelines. Uh, It's going to need patience and grace because things aren't going to look quite how we used to, even when we are worshipping together in person. So please pray for those of us who have leadership responsibility at this challenging time. And as we try to reshape worship, discipleship, community uh, community and mission for this new season in which we find ourselves. It's going to be really challenging, but I think it's going to be really exciting. I was reminded uh, as I was reading Nehemiah this week that... Um, the, the rebuilding of the wall was achieved in about half the time he'd spent in prayer. So there's a sense that actually God is at work in this time. And that's what we have to work out. How is God reshaping us? How is God calling us to be fruitful and faithful in this time? It's right back to John 5:19. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. In this moment, in this season, that's the challenge, that's the invitation to us, that's the excitement. Because if we can see what God is doing clearly in this time, we can get involved. And then we will see much fruit, much fruit even in this difficult and changed time. So those are, I think, the lessons from Nehemiah for this week that we've got to be prepared to improvise. We've got to be prepared to change how we do things. Uh, We can't just have a single plan and never change and never deviate from it. He had planned so thoroughly and yet there was a curveball and he had to adjust to it. Uh, The second thing is we have to be all in this together. Even though we've got different opinions about worship, different opinions about how we should do discipleship or mission, at this time, as the people of Jerusalem did, we have to pull together, have to pull together so that we can rebuild and restore. 
And third, we have to work out what we can restore. Jerusalem was smaller afterwards. It was a stronghold again, but it was smaller afterwards. So we have to ask God to show us clearly where and what to rebuild. But there was such excitement that came from that, because after the 52 days it took them to rebuild, Jerusalem was established, uh, worship was re-established, community was re-established there, and God was once again at the heart of the community. That's what we're pursuing. Amen.